Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jim. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. I want to share with you some truths that I believe will really, really help you. And these are simple truths. And what I've discovered, and I've even rediscovered this truth last week, and I don't even want to say that I discovered it. I just want to say that the Holy Spirit opened it up to me to help me. And now I'm going to do my best to open up to you and trust that the Holy Spirit will make this truth come alive to you. Because, you know, the Bible doesn't say uh, not to get understanding. The Bible just says, don't lean on your understanding. And our entire culture is designed around the concept of leaning onto your own understanding, of leaning on knowledge, of leaning on data. And that knowledge and data is proven wrong time and time and time again. For example, think about the uh, popular um, opinions of the time and how often they are proven to be wrong. Think about all of the data um, that even though it's pointing in one direction, at the end of the day, in practical terms, it turns out to be useless. I think about what happened recently in back in September of 2017 with the Hurricane Irma and how originally it was going to hit the East Coast because that's where all the models pointed to. But then when it changed, they changed their models to show that it was going to land someplace else. And then it was going to hit the West Coast where I live and it turned up... It, turned and went up the center of the state. And so all they were doing was adjusting their model to um, reflect what was happening, all the changes. And I thought, well, you know, the idea of having the model is is you can know ahead of time so that you can make plans ahead of time. And the model, what they, what they thought was going to happen was completely inaccurate. You know, the last um, um, election cycle is another uh, evidence of this. They they had all, all this data uh, when Trump was running for the um, in the primaries. There was no way he could win. There was no way because they polled and they had all of this data. And it turns out that the data was all wrong. And then again for the presidency, when he ran again, it was all wrong. I'm not saying anything for or against Donald Trump. I'm just pointing out the facts that the people that we put so much trust in, we put trust in their research and insights like they're infallible. We know they're not, but yet... We're confused time and time again when what they said doesn't happen. And, and it always winds up where it's put in this, in this light. Okay, although we were wrong last time, this time we've made the necessary adjustments and we'll be right. Well, I have to tell you that, and are you really going to believe that? Because my experience tells me that they're wrong more often than not. I mean, think about it. Think about all of the things. Think about um, in the areas of, of medicine where the doctors are wrong or that certain pharmaceutical drugs are tested time and time again and yet they find out down the line that we these things have to be taken off the market because they're harming as much as they're helping or, or more so. Think about the financial experts and how they don't see things coming even though they've been doing this time and time and time again. And yeah, Maybe you can make little sub-arguments for some of these examples that I've given. But the point is this. The Bible itself says, lean not unto your own understanding. I want you to just 
think for a moment on how we do this when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to your relationship with God and the journey that you're undertaking in your life right now. See, I believe that long before we were born, God had a destiny for each and every one of us. He had a plan for our lives, and that plan included making an impact in the lives of the people around us. Now, I don't know if that impact is going to be um, in, in what measure it's going to be. I'm not saying that every person has a calling on their life to affect 100,000 people or 20,000 people or five people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if you look at all of the stories in the Bible, the people that lived in different times, the, different, the people that were in different situations, when they looked to God, they made a difference. And think about it for a moment, how Jesus recognized the widow who put the, the last that she had and gave it to God into that offering in the temple. And Jesus said that she had given more than all of those other people, all of the other wealthy people. And see, God saw that. I mean, she was called out. Maybe her life was that one summed up in that one action where she did something and God recognized it with such a, uh, I guess, magn magnified or magnification would be the way to do it. In the eyes of God, she just gave an incredible fortune into his work, and she will be rewarded for that one act. The same way maybe somebody like one of the original disciples, like Philip the Evangelist, who was called to do those other things, she'll, he'll be rewarded that way. She'll be rewarded that way, equal to him. That doesn't make any sense, but yet we see scriptures that point to the fact that the owner of the land called different workers together to work, and some worked in the heat of the day. Others worked towards the end of the day. And at the conclusion of the day, when all of the different workers came together and they were getting paid for their service, the people that worked in the cool part of the day, towards the end of the day, after the sun was already setting, got paid the same amount as the people that labored during the hottest, most difficult part of the day. And the people who worked in that hot part of the day looked around at each other and they started to mumble. And they said, how is it that these other people are getting paid the same amount that we are getting paid, even though we did the harder, more intense work? And what did, what did Jesus say? That the man, the father, the landowner, God, who is repaying people, can use his money and be generous however he wants to. You know what the Bible says, that it's of faith, that it might be by grace, God's unearned favor, that his promises would be assured to all the seed? Think about that. It's not by works. It's by grace, God's unearned favor. So if God wants to bless you for doing the tiniest thing, 
and God wants to bless somebody else because they've done the largest thing, and those blessings are equal at the end of the day, then who, who are any of us to say, well, that's not fair? Right? Because then only people in certain positions would be able to be greatly blessed. Think about it. That would mean that only the um, people that were around during times of intense persecution, only those people would be able to be greatly blessed. People that were living in times of prosperity, well, they wouldn't be able to be blessed because, you know, and, and I'm not saying that God doesn't do extra for people who suffer. Because the people that lay down their lives, you can see there was a special crown laid up for them. God rewards people for the things that they do from the heart, from the choices that they make, not based out of self-interest, but based out of that foundation of God's love working in their lives. So I believe when we get there, <clears throat> when all said and done, we will be blessed for things that seemed very small in our sight, and maybe not so much from the things that from a human natural standpoint would seem to be a great sacrifice or a great deed that we did. So the point is, and I want to put this out there because this ties everything together, is that there is a scripture that we see, a truth, starting in the um, <clears throat> book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse number 6. It says, the word of the Lord this is the word of the Lord, says Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So think about that, that word that came from God to a man. You know, everything that we do in this life that really makes a difference, I believe, fits into this framework. It's not by our power, it's not by our physical might, but it's by God's spirit that things really happen. And we see that again in the Gospel of John, where Jesus tells his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. Without me, you can't do anything. So that's another way of saying it's not going to be by your own might and it's not going to be by your own power. It's going to be by my spirit, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. And, and think about this again. It's the Holy Spirit that was doing all of the miracles because remember, Jesus never did a miracle until the wedding at Cana. Because after he turned the water into wine, it's written that, and this is the beginning of miracles that Jesus did. Right? But he was just as much the Son of God all those years leading up to that time. Because the Bible says that he received the Spirit after he was baptized by John. He received the Spirit. He, in other words, he received the power, the calling. Everything was activated at, at that moment to do his ministry. He, but he was just as much the Son of God before that time as he was after that time. He just had something that he didn't have before. And, and we see that here again in the Bible, in the book of Acts, when they waited for the Holy Spirit to come upon them so that they would have power. But here's the thing. We've intellectualized this so much. We really have. And the Bible goes as far to say that um, if the son asks the father of bread, a piece of bread, would he give him a stone? Absolutely not. 
It says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit of them that ask? Even if the the principle of tongues and prophecy trips you up, don't allow it to. Don't, don't deal with this just on an intellectual level. Don't just get lost in the data of the scripture says this and the scripture says that. And, and because you see examples in the book of Acts that should trump any example that we, we see today, that should override any argument that we see today. If you ask for God to give you the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the moment after you ask, you believe that you have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter any different. If you ask for the Father to fill you with the Holy Spirit, let's put it this way, as they were filled in the book of Acts. Now, obviously, they were waiting for the day of Pentecost because it says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And then afterwards, you can see that the Holy Spirit was given by the laying on of hands. But think about somebody like, um, what would be a good example of this? Well, I can't think of an example in and of my head, but, you know, the Bible is very clear that if you ask, you shall, be, you shall receive. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. So faith has to apply to this just like anything else. Right? We believe Jesus is. Right? We, we believe that God raised him from the dead. When Thomas said he would not believe unless he saw, then Jesus appeared to him and he saw him. He actually touched him physically with his hands. And Thomas fell down on his knees and said, My Lord, my God. And, and Jesus said to him, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. Right? So that means you are blessed, specially blessed. There is a blessing for you if you believe in spite of the fact that you have not seen. So that applies not just to believing that Jesus is. That applies not just to believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. It applies to everything else that God promised in the Bible. He's a, he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise. And then it goes on to say, Peter said it, that the promise is to you and to your children and to them who are afar off, to as many as even the Lord shall call. So in other words, this promise that they received, this power, was to the people living at the time, was to the people's children, to their children's children, and to those who are afar off. That would probably be us, right? We, were, we are afar off. That was thousands of years ago. Even as many as the Lord shall call. So the promise is to you. And you have it. You know why you have it? You don't have it because you see any evidence of it. You have it by faith, just like you have forgiveness by faith, just like you have salvation by faith, just like you have righteousness by faith, right? What did Jesus say? Without me, you can do nothing. What does it say here in Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 6? It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit. It's not by your power. It's not by your understanding. It's not by your insight. It's not by your ability to recall. It's not by your ability to work up faith. See, this is a, this is an area that many people, including myself, can easily fall into because when we understand what the Bible says, then very subtly we can have confidence in our knowledge. But ultimately we face something where our knowledge doesn't add up. 
just like those models that we saw of where the hurricane was tracking, where we think something is going to happen a certain way, and then it doesn't. And then we get confused. And then we go back and we create a new model. And then that doesn't happen. And then the next thing we know, as we are examining our situation, as we're looking at the test and the trial that we're facing, we have lines going all over the place, right? And it's not till the experience is over that we realize that those models, those predictions were basically all useless. See, people do that also with the end time message. They have all of these models, all of these predictions, and then when the predictions are wrong, they create a new model. And they say the new model is right because it takes things into consideration that the old model didn't. But yet, Jesus himself said, at a time that you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Think about that. What does that mean? At a time that you think not means at a time that you think not. In other words, it's not going to be in your model. Right? We, we know the time is short by two things. Number one, our time is short. What is your life? Right? It's like a vapor that's here one moment and gone the next. Think about some of the things that you've experienced in your life that at the time they were happening, it seemed like the whole world had stopped. Time had stopped. You were in that situation and it was ruining everything in your life. I could think of things like that time after time after time, little things. Most recently, I had a nail in my tire. It was in the rear tire. Now, here's the thing that, that bothered me so much about it at first. I realized that, you know, in the back of your mind, you think to yourself, well, God controls everything. And so that means that if I'm in this situation, it's because he allowed it. But let me tell you something wrong with this scenario, with that, with that model of thinking. Think about it like this. Imagine if you go to war, right? Does the, company, does the country you represent allow tragedy to happen on the battlefield? I mean, it's a tough question to ask because now you're trying to connect the two together. But, but consider this, when Jesus went into the wilderness, it says that Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said that he would give them to Jesus if he would bow down and worship him because these have been delivered unto him and he can give them to whomsoever he will. In other words, what he was saying there in plain English is that this world is mine and I can give it to whoever I want. And Jesus didn't challenge that assertion. Jesus just told him that, get behind him. Actually, let us let me actually get there and read it literally. Read it literally. Do you like that? I'll read it from Luke chapter 4. He says, the devil take, taking him up on a high mountain, this is New King James Version, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomsoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, 
Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Think about that for a moment. He didn't challenge the fact that it was his to give. Who gave it to him? Well, Adam gave it to him. Because God created everything, and he handed it over to Adam, and then Adam bowed his knee to a fallen spirit, to an evil spirit, and the separation from God occurred. But now when Jesus came back, here's the thing. Uh, the devil didn't have anything in him. Right? Jesus was sinless. The Satan didn't have authority over Jesus. It's kind of like this. Suppose you're in a foreign country. Suppose you're in China. And some angry people are coming after you. They said you stole something from the market. We heard a story like this recently. And the Chinese police are coming after you, and they're angry. And you're running. And straight ahead, you see an Ameri the American embassy. You're running down the street. You see soldiers at the gate. You say, I'm American. Let me in. These people are trying to kill me, and they let you in. The Chinese cannot pass through that gate without permission of the guards. Why? Because you are an American citizen. The Apostle Paul had a similar situation where he was arrested, but he was a Roman citizen at the time and was afforded certain rights. And when they found out that, they were troubled. See, everything in this world works through authority and jurisdiction. Satan has no authority over you as an individual, over your life, and over the things that you own, because it is written that you have been bought with a price. You have been redeemed. Your penalty has been paid off for you. You are no longer under the lordship of a fallen spirit. You're now under the lordship of God, of Jesus Christ. You have a new spirit. You are no longer unrighteous in the eyes of God, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so once you understand that, once the, the penny drops, as the old saying goes, once you finally digest that truth, what happens? You realize that the devil has no right to come into your life and into the, your family's life and steal from you. And so you can pray in faith knowing that. Because what does the Bible say about sin? The Bible says that through, through sin, the curse came into the earth. And the curse, you can read about in Deuteronomy chapter 28. It has the blessings and cursings of keeping the law or violating the law. But yet it says in the book of Galatians that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And under the curse of the law was sickness, um, uh, disease, your crops would fail, your family would go into bondage to a foreign nation. All of these curses would come upon you for breaking the laws, these universal laws. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, right? And so you may think, okay, I know all that, but how do I get that to work? And therein lies the problem because you believe you have to get it to work. You find yourself in a situation that never quite adds up. Because what, did, what does it say again in Zechariah? It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by my spirit. And you say, okay, I understand that. But what do I have to do to get the Holy Spirit to? 
and then we get in a place where we're starting to work, we don't mean to be in that place, but invariably, we wind up there. I don't want to say invariably, because God is merciful, and God's grace can um, supersede that bad place to be in. But I'm saying the true freedom comes, true results begin to manifest when we realize that we don't have to manifest them. In other words, we look at our prayer the way we might look at a tire iron when we're sitting by the roadside. Let me get back to that story with the nail. I had this nail in my tire, and I was upset because I just bought new tires for the back in August. And then I bought front tires just a month ago. And the nail was in such a spot, or it was a screw actually, that the whole tire was probably going to have to be replaced. So it was just like taking a few hundred dollars or a little more than a few hundred dollars for one tire and, and just might as well just take a big lighter and flick it and catch, catch the end and just let it burn in the waste paper basket. I mean, it was just like that. Or just ball it up in a ball and flush it down the toilet. That money was gone. And, and, and in a way, I thought, why, Lord, I know that, that there's the Holy Spirit and, and, and you look over things and you could have made it so that that didn't happen. But think about this. You know, it, the Bible says that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen. Because the things which are seen are temporal. They're temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Bible says that Jesus, although he was a son, yet he learned obedience to the truth by the things which he suffered. So Jesus grew tired. He had people trying to throw him off the mountaintop. I mean, people were after him. Um, he had to depart sometimes into a quiet place so he could pray. And the, the devil was always coming against him in one way or another. He's coming against the disciples, trying to cause division, trying to get them into the natural where they would say, who is the greatest among us? And all of these things kept happening over and over again. The very people that he came to save rejected him. They weren't listening to him. And you might say the same thing. Why, God, why is this happening? Right? Because we're in a battle and we have an opponent and we have free will. But do you know what? Here is the thing. We have free will, but I'm not going to be afraid anymore of making the wrong choice. Do you know why? Because my foundation now is built upon not by power, nor by might, not by my understanding, but by God's Spirit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. So instead of trying and relying on my own strength, you know, the Bible says that those who have believed enter into God's rest. That, that is the focal point. It's all by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that created everything. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, dwells in you. Think about that. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. It says that. Check it out for yourself. Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. And so, let's start putting these truths together. Number one, I am in a fallen world with a lot of enemies. But you know what? Where I live, my house, my property, my things, it's no different than I am living in God's embassy. 
Think about that. Different countries have different... Our, we have an American embassy, right, in just about every, every country. Right? Well, well, every believer is like, you are God's house. You are God's embassy here on the earth. The devil has no right to cross over that border because you are part of the kingdom of God, not of this earth. You know, when, when they came and arrested Jesus, and he was talking to Pontius Pilate, he said, he, Pontius Pilate asked him, are you a king? And basically Jesus said to him, he said, <clears throat> my kingdom is not of this earth. If my kingdom were of this earth, my servants would come and fight to keep me from being delivered into your hands. Right? So Jesus reigns over an eternal kingdom, the heavenly Jerusalem. And we're a part of that. We're a part of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. We're in it now, not just a future tense reality, but a present tense reality. Okay, let's go on a little bit further. Let me see how much time I have left here. <clears throat> okay, we're almost at a half hour. Let me read a few scripture verses to you. And I want you to think about these verses in the light of what I just said. Acts chapter 3, verse number 12. This is when the lame man was healed at the beautiful gate. Acts chapter 3, verse number 12, it says, The people all came and marveled at Peter after this miracle happened and said, When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? Again, it wasn't by their own power. It wasn't by their own might. It was by God's Spirit that the miracle happened. And what did they do? They proclaimed the truth. This is just a proclamation of the truth. There's freedom in the truth. When the truth comes out of your mouth, things begin to change. Here's another example in Acts chapter 9, verse number 34. This is Aeneas, or Aeneas, I guess it, it depends on how you pronounce it. Okay, he was another person that was lame. Think about how people pray for people today. And then compare this to how Peter prayed. Acts chapter 9 as you may hear in the background, I have a real paper and ink <laughs> book that I'm looking through. It's not all by computer all the time. It says in verse 33, it says, And he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. How did Peter pray for him? He just spoke the word, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And he arose immediately. See, he didn't say, what did the doctor say? He didn't say, uh, Lord, I pray that you reconnect his spinal cord. I take authority over all of the... He didn't pray anything like that. He simply said, Jesus Christ heals you. Why? Because he knew that it wasn't by power or might. It wasn't by his understanding. It was by the Spirit. The Spirit does all the healing. And think about the times that you've prayed... And you try to use your words like battering rams. Or you try to use prayer like shooting an arrow or shooting a gun at the enemy. And you do that and you try to work up faith. You try to work up power. You try to work up belief. And, and, and do you see where the problem is in that? 
right? With that type of, with your heart set in, in that way. Because you're always going to be in fear. You're always going to be wondering, I need more power. It's always going to appear like you need more power. Why? Because you're relying on your own power. You just don't, haven't realized it yet. The light hasn't shown in that area yet. And so you feel like if I pray harder, then there's a greater chance of success. If I believe harder or if I focus more and everything is on yourself, but look at the freedom that Peter had. He said, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you, get up. Now imagine if you use that for yourself, you just proclaim the truth. You've already prayed. I don't know what type of infirmity you may have. Maybe it's something chronic. Maybe it's been with you for years. You can simply say, Jesus Christ heals me. Right now, that, that seems counterintuitive. It seems too simple. But what was he doing? It wasn't the words. It was a simple proclamation of the truth. I can't tell you how many people I've heard who've been healed over the years simply saying, by his stripes, I am healed. You can find a lot of testimonies if you look that up. People just proclaiming that truth over and over again. Now, it's not the over and over again that creates the power, so to speak, right? Because if you believe that, then if you say it a hundred times, it doesn't happen, then you'll feel like you need to say it another hundred or two hundred or five hundred, right? But if you will realize that it's not by your power and might, but it's all by God's spirit, then you can proclaim it with freedom. Do you see the difference? You can be free to proclaim the truth knowing that it's the Holy Spirit, not you, that makes the whole thing work. And I think that's really what it comes down to at the end. You know, we get so bogged down in trying to figure things out, looking at our quote-unquote hurricane model and determining where we need to go next, where we need to hide, how we need to adjust. And I'm not saying that, hey, if a storm's coming, you don't stock up on some extra food and water. I'm not saying any of that. But at the end of the day, you realize that your safety is not going to be by your food or water. It's not going to be by how much money you have in your bank. The safety isn't by any of those things. And when you realize that, right, what did Jesus say? That your treasure should be in heaven, where the rust does not, rust, where the thief does not break in and steal and the rust doesn't corrupt, right? Let your treasures be in heaven. And so as you come, go forward in life, you have to realize that, you know what? God is not causing these problems, God is not allowing these problems the way a poor parent would allow their children to go without proper food and clothing. God is not a poor parent. The reality is that we are in a battle right now, and we may be in the heat of the day as it relates to the place in life that we're in. We're not in the cool of the day, maybe, at this point, and that is fine because the truth is, is that God does not order opposition to come against us, but when the opposition does come against us, when we're tried in the fire, there's things that are going to be removed from our life that would hinder us, that would weigh us down, and that would make us not fit for what he has for us down the line. God has something good planned for your life. God has something bigger than you see in your life right now, and you have to believe that. You have to believe that even if you're stubborn, even if you have terrible habits, as long as you believe that it's not by your power or by your might, but it's by God's Spirit, you will be in a position where God will be able to do bigger and greater things than He's ever done in your life before. 
and I've tried to get to this story like uh, for like 30 minutes now, but I'm finally going to finish it. You know what I thought? You know what? I'm not going to blame God for what what just happened, for this light affliction. From now on, whatever happens that's bad in my life, I'm going to acknowledge that God does not bring these things against me. Persecution, all of these things, bad things happen. Why? It says the enemy comes in Mark chapter 4 for the word's sake. Right? Why does God protect me again? He's given you everything you need to win every battle in life. When the Israelites went through the desert, they didn't, you know, you could, oh, why do we have to be here? Right? They complained and they got stuck there. Right? But when they trusted God, when they realized it was by God's spirit, they won battle after battle after battle after battle. You won't be battling forever, I assure you. The Bible says the same thing. There are times and seasons for everything. But I want you to rest in the fact that there's nothing in you that's so powerful in the negative that God can't break through. He can break through all of that. You haven't been forgotten. You haven't been cast to the side. You're just fighting enemies. Canaanites, Jebusites, Hittites, all the other ites may be coming against you. But the simple proclamation of the truth can transform everything. So I said, Lord, you know what? Maybe this, my friend told me, don't pull the nail out because the tire can go flat and everything. Bring the car down. And I went to bed that night thinking, you know, whatever happens, I'm going to praise God. Whatever happens, I'm going to trust God. If I have to get a new tire and spend another 200 and something dollars when I just spent 200 and something dollars on that tire like six months ago, I'm not going to complain about it. Why? Because God can get me the money to fix that. God can, he saw it coming, in other words. I'm not going to be burdened down. I'm not going to be depressed about this. I'm not going to let it bother me. And the next day I went there and they pulled the screw out of the tire and it turned out it didn't go through all the way. The tire was saved. I didn't have to spend the money. It's just one little thing. It's funny to talk about it now, but we have things like that every day and those things add up over time. And next thing we know, a bad day turns into a bad week. A bad week turns into a bad month. And it feels like you're just going to be in the situation forever. It feels like your destiny is just like being in the, in the quote unquote mental ghetto. You know what I mean by that? where there's never enough to go around, you're never really happy, things never really uh, work for you in a big way, all your victories are just basically small, and you feel like you're just locked into this place in life. So what I want to tell you today is that absolutely positively, that's your own wrong thinking that has got you into that spot. God doesn't create second-rate believers. He doesn't create... Uh, second-rate faith. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith, and the faith you have in you works fine. You just have to redirect it from faith in your own ability to work the truth, redirect it from your own ability to understand and implement the truth, and get it to a place where you recognize that it's not by your own power. It's not by your own might. It's not by your understanding. As soon as that prayer leaves your lips, it's the Holy Spirit that has to make it all work. And is he reliable? Absolutely. Get the focus off of yourself. I don't care if you're bound by evil habits. I talked to somebody not that long ago, and they were addicted to all kinds of things. And uh, one of them was cigarettes, a really bad addiction where as long as they were awake, they had to be smoking. I mean, imagine getting up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom and you have to light up a cigarette. That's how strong the addiction is. 
not only is it bad for your health, but it's really expensive. And so that person began to proclaim basically this simple scripture, sin shall not have dominion over me. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. And that appeared to be a lie when he said it. Why? Because he was addicted to a substance. He had substance addiction. So whether your addiction is to a substance, whether it's to a um, something that you, you do, habitual, whether it's something within your personality, maybe you're, maybe you're addicted to, maybe you're greedy. You're just a greedy person and, and you're never happy. You always want more. It's never enough. You know, little things like that. Maybe you're addicted to food. Maybe you're addicted to worry. Guess what? Sin will no longer have dominion over you. If you start proclaiming that and you realize that you don't have to make that scripture work, you don't have to will it into being, you don't have to force your faith out. You just proclaim this is the truth. And instead of talking about all of your weaknesses and all your hangups and all the places that you fall down, you begin to say what the Bible says about you. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. No sin shall have dominion over the over me. And you rely on the Holy Spirit to make that your reality. Your life will begin to transform. And I, I can tell you, I've learned this lesson again after being a believer for 33 years. For 33 years, I've seen God work miracles. And then at the same time, I've seen something minor which just seemed to hang on. And I fought it and I fought it and I fought it. And then came to the realization when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, that the reason why those things hang on is because you're relying on your own strength to beat them. Instead, step back, lift up your hands and say, you know what? I'm not going to fight this anymore. The Holy Spirit, the Lord is going to fight this battle. It's the Lord, the Bible says, that goes before you and breaks down the doors of brass and iron. You know, I've been trying to faith it out. I've been trying to use my own understanding. I've been trying to grit my way through prayer to get over this problem. And it just doesn't work that way. So my friend began to proclaim that he was free. And it manifested itself a few months later where one day he just stopped smoking. That was, and then 10 years go by, you know what I mean? And he looks back and realizes that, you know what? It was the Holy Spirit that did it. Uh, I talked about recently in a podcast how... Um, Somebody in my family noticed this growth on my scalp, and it look, didn't look nice at all. And uh, they were told me that you need to pray, and if that doesn't go away, you need to get to a doctor because that doesn't look right. And I remember thinking about all the fear that hit me. Well, what if that's cancer or something else like that? And, and I went to the Lord like a child would go to a father in a complete sincerity. And I told him about the problem. And I told him about my propensity sometimes to try and fight things in my own strength. And I let him know that I just have to let this go into your hands and not examine it anymore. I, I can't do it because if I, if I mess with this, I'm going to become uh, totally bound with fear. I know me. I know what I can take. I know what I can't take. And I know sometimes I deceive myself into thinking that... I have more strength than I actually do. And I put that all out on the line before God. And, and then a week later, the, the growth had completely disappeared, gone. And um, it never came back again. And I've had instances like that throughout my life that I could point to that have happened, just miraculous things. 
But then I've had also little things that just wouldn't move, wouldn't budge. I commanded them to go in Jesus' name, and they still they stayed on. And then I wondered, well, maybe I just prayed wrong, or maybe I said it wrong. And in, in that type of thinking, it was just like the weather models. I kept adjusting, 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 and I lost sight of the fact that I was trying to use my own power. I was relying on my own understanding. And I didn't realize how much freedom there was in finally uh, letting those things go and putting my faith 100% in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to make this work. And, and the nice thing about that is I know every situation is different. Just the other day, I was talking to somebody about Peter and the taxes, and Jesus said that, you know, lest we offend them, pay the taxes for both of us. And he told Peter to go and cast his line into the water. When the fish came up, it would have the coin in its mouth. But imagine, imagine for a moment that the next year had come. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet, and it was tax time again. Do you think Jesus would have told him to go back and cast your line into the water? No, he wouldn't have done that. God wouldn't have done it that way because God doesn't want you to have faith in the method. He wants you to have faith in, the, in his spirit, in him. God is not a man. God's a spirit. He wants you to have faith in the Holy Spirit. He wants you, to, yes, to have faith in the word, but he wants you to have faith in his name, but he wants you to have faith that it's the Holy Spirit that does it, not us. Again and again and again, I come back to these scriptures where Peter says, why do you look at us as though by our own power or holiness? See, there it is right there. It's not just um, well, I'm not going to dig any further. If you haven't gotten it by now, then you haven't gotten it. I've done the best that I can. So thank you for listening. Thanks for joining me again. God bless you. Have a good rest of your day, rest of the week, and I will talk to you soon.